When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's something I take a tremendous amount of pride in. Uh, that's what matters to me. Um, when my role changed, when I wasn't the starter, um, I made sure to remain a captain, remain a great teammate, and um, nothing's going to change. I know uh, I'm responsible for making sure my team's ready to go, focused and, and motivated. So I was trying to do all those things today, and uh, it paid off. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave. Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. It's $5 Bits of Broken Chair Week. Uh, Minnesota, the Gophers coming up. Uh, also, uh, a, a great charity that uh, they support, Team Jack. You had a chance last weekend to watch the show with uh, on ESPN2 on, on the Hoffman family. Uh, great family. Uh, donate to Team Jack, everyone. Uh, make sure you do that this week. Awesome. Good point, Hawk. I'm with the trophy game historian, Boomer. Well, I was just going to announce that uh, our initial plan was to have uh, both Honky and Mac take this uh, podcast week off to preserve the integrity of our Championship Week <laughs> podcast. So, but we decided to bring them on anyway because we're not the ACC. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Also with Mac. Well, I'm just trying to go ahead and challenge Brendan Hymas's consecutive 39 game start week. By uh, on my almost like what twelfth podcast in a row now, guys. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm really challenging, and I'm going to stick around for basketball season. This is amazing. I've got him in my sights. <laughs> uh, that is great, Mac. Good stuff. <laughs> well, everybody's in a good mood, right? Because we've got victory number two of the 2020 football season. Huskers take down Purdue uh, by ten in West Lafayette. Uh, Honky, had to be very happy with the result, even though sometimes a little bit ugly, right? Yeah, I'm as happy as the other nine Big Ten teams that have two wins right now. Isn't that amazing? That's a crazy stat, really. Mm. But uh, it felt good. It felt good to win maybe a Big Ten game in a Big Ten style to hold them to negative two yards rushing. You know, look, Purdue wasn't a great running team coming into it, but, you know, I thought we had a text chain, you know, like we always do before the game, and uh, Redcast Rob had asked a question about, you know, what do you think we need to do? And my response was we need to make them one-dimensional because, to his point, they had great dynamic receivers, pro-style receivers, and they're going to get their catches. But the one thing you can't have is Purdue also get the runs on you. Right. And uh, it's kind of weird to say get the runs, but regardless, <laughs> uh, you definitely can't allow them to have a good rushing game on you on top of the, the That's passing. my job. <laughs> So, so Dave, it's great. It's a victory. It's a, it's a win. We had a blast with uh, Jack came over and did our uh, rapid reaction with him, and so uh, it was fun. God, it just it's fun to talk about wins. Hey, Mac, did you celebrate the victory at all? I had a great time uh, at Casa de Honke, and uh, we have stumbled across a formula that seems to work pretty well. It's uh, Honke and I agree to get together, and then we bring down another Columbus alumni from Omaha to Lincoln, and we watch the game, and we win. Now, we didn't hot tub as early in this game because, frankly, we didn't have to. Uh, we <laughs> still did. We still did, you know, for posterity and just, you know, just to loosen up the muscles after a hard-earned victory. 
super tickled. <laughs> I felt like we could beat Purdue. You know, I thought we had the the potential to do it. It was this was the most relaxing, stress free game we've had in a long time. Now I say that now during the game, the entire game, I was super stressed out. But when I watched <laughs> the game the second time around, I'm like, man, we were on easy street the whole way through. I'm like, this game couldn't have been more enjoyable. But uh, really proud of the Huskers. Really proud of. How they came back and fought, and oh my goodness, Adrian Martinez! I told you guys, rising like a phoenix from the ashes. Here we go. New tattoo, by the way. Uh, Boomer, were you that confident after they got to seven in the fourth quarter? There was some concern there, but thank goodness uh, we found a team that was capable of producing even more moronic penalties than we've done all season. I mean, my God, Purdue, what the heck were you doing in that game? That one I, drive was extraordinary, hey, Boomer? Yeah, the one, I was really concerned that point when it was, what, second and 21 after we had two consecutive holding penalties and we were back on about our seven or so, but a team's going to give you opportunities to, to bail out, and Nebraska took them, and that's kind of the story of this game is we put ourselves into positions, you know, with blocked punts and, you know, good field position, and they took advantage of that in the first quarter. And if teams are going to make more mistakes than you are, a team that's growing and taking those steps needs to learn how to take advantage of them. And this was a, a game where Nebraska did that, and that's what you want to see going forward. Yep, absolutely. You know, I mean, lots of things that you can point to to say, hey, we can get better, we can fix these things. But also a lot of things you can point to saying, hey, that's how you win a football game. Right, Honky? Yeah, I mean, we made plenty of mistakes, too. We kind of matched them penalty to penalty at, at times, so... We have two holding calls and takes us back to 21 yards and they give us a first down. And we had a 30 yards and penalties on one play. It still requires the defense to step up and, and make stops where they need to. But I'll tell you what, you know, to have a kicker now like Culp that makes 13 points and the difference in the game is 10, that's something we didn't have a year ago. And when it comes to these close games, and the funny thing is this one, in a, in a weird way, it wasn't that close. We won by double digits, mm-hmm. by 10 points. And Purdue, every single game this year was... Without uh, a possession. Within a game. possession, within seven or less points for them. So this was a blowout by Purdue standards this year. So it was just good to and see. And they were full strength with, with more back, too. Yeah. I just saw a lot of guys step up. To see Boodle down the field breaking up passes. And, you know, and you think about where he was a couple games ago where, you know, it seemed like he was getting beat at times. and But he's breaking up passes. And Stilly, I called Stilly out a couple weeks ago and said I'd take him off the field on third and long and pass rush situations. Well, I look like an idiot, and that's okay. I'm glad I do because Stilly <laughs> looks like a good pass rushing uh, D end out there. Actually, he was lined up a nose tackle on one of his sacks. Mm-hmm. And good for him. Proud of the guy. You know, right before you asked that question, Dave, I, I was writing down a note to myself saying, you know, like, what was different this game? What was actually different? Because you could look at the stat line. We didn't blow the doors off of anything, right. really. I mean, the turnovers were nothing, right? Penalties were still high. And rushing yards weren't out of control. And our, our passing completion was good, but our passing yards was nothing to write home about, right? So what was different? And I look at it's like It's little things, right? It's little things where... You know, their quarterback rolls out and he throws an incompletion. And we have a lineman that's prepared to blow the guy up, but he doesn't. Right? Yeah. And we have defensive backs in position to make a play on the ball as opposed to just face guarding or, or mm-hmm. causing a pass interference. You know, there was just little things like that. Adrian Martinez, they drop eight. We have enough time to throw. He throws underneath and we get a first down. Or he throws to a tight end and he gets four. And then the next play, we get a first down. It's just little things you saw, a little bit of the evolution of the team, not panicking, 
We let the game kind of come to us. We let the offensive game plan come to us. And our defense never panicked. I mean, make no mistake, boys. Those Purdue wide receivers are legit. And our defensive backs rose to the occasion and and took everything they had to give them. And we came out victors this week. So it's it's, it's interesting. You really have to watch this game uh, with a lot of detail and go, man, that's that's better. If you don't have the Illinois game, this game even feels so much better, right? But the evolution of this team has has really been enjoyable to watch. It makes this game so much more satisfying because of other things we've seen that have, you know, all given us pause about where the staff is, where the where the talent is, you know, what the coaching decisions are. So it's a great win. It's an absolutely great win. But how much different was it from every other week? Well, I don't know, but just enough. It's just enough. It's the margins that get you the victories. You know, Mac, you mentioned um, the pass rush there, right? And there is a difference. I mean, we took advantage of a very young Purdue line, right? That makes makes a difference. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these things can carry forward over these next couple of games. You know, um, I always like to track yards per point, right? Mac, you texted mm-hmm. earlier in the game when we oh, got... Oh, man, Dave, I, I wish I'd have hit you even sooner. I, I, meant, <laughs> I thought I... I sent that. I legitimately sent that to the wrong text thread, and, and nobody knew who I, what I was talking about. And I got these replies. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry, you know. But I, I sent that right away after the. But go so ahead. Sorry, I, I did the math, and uh, because of the block punt and the short field after the the second punt from Purdue, we ended up having I think the yards per point was nine point eight. That's a great number. That's that's like top ten in the country if you could do that on uh, easy in, in, on a, a yearly basis, right? Um, and you think about it, Purdue had about the same amount of yards as, as us, right, Boomer? It was really close. Yeah, it was about 320, 330 each. So, yeah, yeah. The total yardage wasn't very different. They scored ten less points, though, right? On their block punt, they only got three. We got a full touchdown. Um, so it is those little things. And special teams is what can bring that, that YPP down and that – turns into winning football. I would wonder, Dave, actually, within the Scott Frost era, that almost has to rank one of the best that we've done, yards per point. Yeah. Because really, our yardage output wasn't immense. But the point total was pretty good. I mean, honestly, I, I felt like that was pretty good. And it was just so great to see because it was special teams. The defense held up. And then the offense scored when it was opportunistic. And to have a field goal kicker. Yeah, it's big. We haven't been very good at that spot the first couple years here. Uh, he certainly gives us a guy that we can count on. I get less nervous when I send the, the field goal unit out there. Uh, we start thinking about kicking a field goal uh, deep from farther out uh, because of his range. So it gives us a lot more confidence and um, glad he glad he's a part of what we're doing. You know, he's only missed one this year, guys. Mm-hmm. And everyone was kind of talking about it like, well, you know, we don't know what kind of range he has. He hits a duck, and it still goes 49 yards. Yeah. I mean, that and that's the first duck I've seen him hit. He's He's got the leg, I think, to go at least 54. That I, feel, I would feel comfortable with him at about 54 yards pretty easily. And that is a weapon, make no mistake, going forward. I, he's a senior. Bring him back. <laughs> yep, that's right. You know, I mean, to your point there, Mac, I mean, last year that was an empty possession we would have had. Because we would have had to go for it on fours, or we punt it, and we get nothing out of it. And Boomer here, we have a kicker now who's 12 of 13 and has proven that he can hit a, a 49-yarder when it, when it counts. And I, I was doing the math on the YPP, the yards per point. I think the last three games now are at 13.7, which is around 50, 55th in the country, I think. So more on in average. 
but still over the entire season, we're still over 15 yards per point, which is in the 80s or so, right? Um, so way down the list, not as bad as some other schools in the Big Ten even. But um, it'll be interesting to see if we can track that over the next couple of games here against Minnesota, our Week 9 opponent, and, and see if we can keep going in the right direction. Speaking of Week 9 opponents, Honky, we still don't know who in the heck we may play in Week 9. We're looking like... Uh, and Boomer, maybe you want to jump in here because I know you like to be our COVID tracker. Um, it looks like Minnesota is going to be in a position to play, even though they're going to be down about 20 scholarship players. So we should get our seventh game in, but we're still don't know what about uh, week nine looks like. Yeah, it's kind of still up in the air at this point. What's going to happen exactly is still questions throughout the league. It, you know, if Minnesota is going to have the test to play, you know, Michigan-Ohio State's been a question, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how that shakes out, and then the implications, how does that feed into those crossover games in that championship week they were talking about. As we've learned in the BetCast, it's hard to predict stuff, you know, even <laughs> on a Wednesday when we record on that, you know, what games are going to be played, and we're doing this on a Monday, I mean, things change so much from day to day. Fingers crossed the, the $5 Bits of Broken Chair game comes off, and we can get that game in, which would be huge to keep that momentum going, and and, and tie into the you know the championship champions week and then possibly even a bowl game if such things still exist by the time those you know the season ends. You know, hockey. I mean, there's been some interesting talk out there. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN had an interesting tweet, which I don't really see how he was getting there, but he felt like the Big Ten should, if Michigan couldn't play and Ohio State needed a sixth game, essentially shuffle a schedule for their their benefit, which doesn't seem like it's an all for one thing there. It's a or a one for all, whatever it is, right, Hawk? But um, what do you think about that? Yeah, very collegial of them. Uh, you know, it's funny how you know, we got totally crapped on by some of these national media types here a couple months ago for just wanting to play football. And now when we get to this point, by the way, we are completely in support of Ohio State playing whoever. If, if they can't play Michigan, the Redcast wants them to play somebody. Uh, that's a fact. We want games being played. I don't care if it's against Chattanooga or whatever. We want games being played. We just don't understand why it was such a big damn deal to some of these people when, when we said it. And, and now all of a sudden they're coming out like it's a, a novel idea. Like, oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe they should find a way to get Ohio State this extra game. Well, you should have read our official release, you know, from the university back in October that said literally that, that at some point there's going to be a time in the season where whether it's us or somebody else, somebody <clears throat> needs to get into the playoff, you know, whatever it is that they might need these extra metrics and, we think it's in the best interest, but no, 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 no. Know your place, Nebraska. The that's, national media. That's the important thing. The national media this this season has done itself zero favors. <laughs> I mean, they just look like clowns. If you want to make your podcast more legitimate, just talk about normal stuff. The national media will just ruin themselves based off of their stupid, idiotic takes time and time again, acting like America or Twitter. Nobody has any memory that they could go look up and say, well, you said this before. It's absolutely ridiculous. Ohio State, we're rooting for you. And if you want to shuffle some things around so you can get to the dance, I'm all about it. Well, Dave, we got some guff when it was the Wisconsin week where – it's not that we were calling Wisconsin out for not playing. It was just we want to play a game, right? We're not saying that they were ducking us for cripe's sakes. They beat us seven straight times. But yet again, we got a lot of crap back then. Mm-hmm. And then Herb Street. Oh, blowback. Blowback. Pushback, but Herb yeah. Street, who is kind of the dean of the national media, 
he calls out Michigan, says they're ducking Ohio State, and then ends up having to apologize the next day. I mean, <clears throat> even he's you know guilty of this right now. Yeah, it's interesting he had to apologize. Maybe, maybe he just felt he, he needed to do that, um, which better than Desmond Howard, right? But, I mean, I, I see where he's coming from. If you look at something like Florida State, it sure feels like they didn't want to play a couple of games this year, right? Yep. Um, and there's probably a few other programs that feel like they probably, you know, they had COVID cases. Let's not, not say they didn't. And But, mm-hmm. um, Boomer, we know South Carolina played Saturday night versus Kentucky with 46 players. 16 players were available on their on their defense, right? So sometimes you have programs that want to play, and sometimes you have programs that don't. Yeah, and that's kind of been one of the big challenges this year is just, and I think some of that stems from, you know, schools not releasing lots of data on it, so it kind of encourages people to read between lines and things like that, and all the conferences not really having good set rules and, and plans for any of this. I mean, we've mentioned it so many times with the Big Ten, it's just the lack of communication from the, the home office just renders this chaotic. And then you see scenarios like, you know, we mentioned in the opening with the ACC just deciding, oh, Notre Dame and Clemson don't need to play anymore because reasons we want them in the, we want both in the playoffs and they're just completely changing rules on the fly. And so this whole season's just been kind of crazy when it comes to this sort of stuff. And you're going to kind of expect that these sorts of reactions from different teams, different players, and different people's opinions about what actually happened. And now, Scarlet Colored Glasses. you you got to learn from a win and learn from a loss. Um, I, I've really seen our habits and a lot of things around the building get better the last uh, couple weeks. Um, coming off a win, you got to double down on that. Do even more of it. Um, make sure you're focused focus is good, your practice habits are good, your effort's good, um, and I expect the guys to, to respond well this week. All right, we just heard there from head coach Scott Frost about the culture in the locker room and and in the program at Nebraska. It feels like it's starting to, to take hold. Sometimes it, it requires a, a weird loss like the Illinois game and and the players to really start to rally around um, their coach. I think you saw that. It felt like there's just a lot of love on that that field after that game versus Purdue, you know. I mean, you see someone like uh, Cam Taylor Brent and Garrett Nelson coming up uh, behind Frost while he's doing the interview. Um, you have Adrian Martinez with that amazing interview, right, Mac? I mean, yeah. really got to start there. We're, we're doing scarlet colored glasses. We're starting the offensive side of the ball, and our offense starts with Adrian Martinez again, right? Uh, 100%. I mean, if anything, what we learned from this game is Adrian Martinez is a hundred percent class. I mean, at the he had that interview at the end of it when he talked about, you know, they asked him a pointed question about being demoted, and all he really wanted to talk about was my role was being a leader for my team, being a captain for my team. That's a that's a voted on position, and he takes it very seriously. That's that's something that's very important to him. And I'm telling you right now, guys, we get this Adrian. For the rest of the year, we're winning every game going forward. We just are. His touchdown run, that was a next-level touchdown run. He eluded. He was strong. He ended up finishing the run. You see him hold that ball high and tight. You know, fumbling's been an issue for him going, you know, throughout his whole career. Mm-hmm. He ends up securing the ball, getting over the end. And then, like, to see him come up to the sideline and get that hug from Frost. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what a recruit needs to see or what a recruit's Mom or dad needs to see. But this is a guy who got benched mid-season, comes up to his coach and gives him a huge hug. 
And, you know, it just tells you all you want to know about Husker football right now. So super happy. I'm just, I'm just super tickled for Adrian Martinez. He's what we thought we, we, he is what we thought he was in terms of a captain. And now he's starting to show up as what we thought he was as a, as a talent. Mm-hmm. He, he was ripping the ball. Yeah. Mac, that's right. Honky, I mean, he hit, I think it was 23 of 30, I want to say. He's now 41 of 50, his last two. And so suddenly it's amazing the offense looks better when we're completing, you know, 80% of our passes, right? And that's a, a, a promising for the future. Yeah, I think on the season he's closing in on about 70% right now for the I think for that's the right, year. yeah. And that's with that Northwestern game that he was awful at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, he had uh, – there wasn't a bad snap from Jurgens, And it's funny that you get good snaps and – the quarterback play, you know, improves the timing with that looks too, better, right? Yeah. Everything looked better. Anybody who said Jurgen should be a guard is a goofball. <laughs> <laughs> What's so f- funny is that pull your head out. We come back and like you look back on things that we just said a week ago or two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and I don't think we were wrong when we said them at the time, but they're just better all of a sudden. It was halftime, and I'm out in Denver. A halftime of the Northwestern game, and I'm calling Mac up and talking to you, Dave, when I came back in. And it's like, we need to bench Martinez. We needed to. He needed to be benched. Yeah. And we needed to play Luke. And Luke came in there. And I remember at one point saying, we need to stick with Luke. You cannot just bench a kid the second you play him. You know, we can't get into that game. And he went for about a game and a half. I remember saying, I have to go back on what I said. He needs to be benched. We need Martinez well, back out there. Jurgens in the first half of, the, of Iowa is snapping the ball all over the place and saying he can't play center if he's going to be doing this. All those things weren't wrong that we said, but all those things seem to be almost getting fixed right now kind of by themselves. Somehow, Jurgens that second half of that uh, Iowa game and then all this last game, the dude's been on. He <clears> looks fine. Martinez has been on. He looks fine. We even got Luke onto the field last game. In kind of the role that maybe he should be playing here for the last couple of games, so they they figured out some things. They've gone through the pains, and look, man, let's play our best football these next two weeks. Yeah, you know, it's a it's amazing what you don't know when you don't get to see practice every day. Sure, which is basically everybody out there talking about Husker football. <laughs> we don't get to see practice every day. We don't know what the ins and outs of the team is. You got to trust that the coaching staff is going to put the best quarterback out there, the best center out there, the best defensive package out there. And as much as it's frustrating to watch us lose games based on horrible play sometimes, and there has been horrible play sometimes, there's a reason that Adrian keeps getting shots, and we're seeing it in the last couple of weeks. There's a reason that 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 Cam Jurgens is still center, and we saw it this last week. I feel like if, if the time ever comes where we turn this corner, and everything that they're seeing in practice starts to manifest on the field, we really are about to turn a big corner. And I'm hoping like heck that Purdue was that that turning point. I guess how much one game goes to restore the faith of a coaching staff, it's it's incredible. Well, you know, if we're turning that corner, I mean, Dave, we had a question from Instagram from the real Paul Gornick. And he said Mackenzie Milton should transfer to Nebraska. If we're getting this figured out, do we need Mackenzie Milton next year? Martinez is looking pretty sharp. You know, I think it all depends on what Adrian looks like the next couple of games here. If he looks like what he did against Purdue, um, I don't think you need to consider bringing in uh, a Mackenzie Milton, right? Because if he's uh, hitting 70 to 80% of his passes, we're getting 200, 250 yards uh, in the air. He's finally throwing some touchdown passes. He got one this week. I'd love to see some more. 
his receivers are coming into form, then you look like you feel pretty good about that quarterback position going into 2021. Now, if he struggles again, and that's possible, let's let's not jump the gun here a little too much. Um, I think McKenzie Milton should at least be considered. He's obviously has a great relationship with Coach Frost. They talk on a weekly basis. He had great success with Frost and Verdusco. Um, and he obviously knows the playbook very well and can throw the ball downfield. Uh, so I wouldn't rule out Milton entirely, but I think Adrian can squash that really quick with a couple more performances because I don't think you need to bring that into your program. And I, I don't think McKenzie Milton would want to come into that program where he feels like there's a pretty clear uh, returning starter, right? And I, I don't think Scott Frost would bring him in in that situation. But if the quarterback room struggles the next two or three weeks, um, then all bets are off. So each game is important. And I, I think that's yes. what we've really said all along when it came to COVID and playing games was just games are important. Every one game is important. That some national clown, I can't remember which guy it was, but you know, sent a tweet out that, oh yeah, when Nebraska wanted to play UT Chattanooga, would that was that going to be the difference between us, you know, getting it all turned around uh, or not? Yeah, and it's I like, yeah, it could be. Just playing games right now, yep. getting data points out there, getting experience, especially with young guys, it does make a difference. Yeah, you know, I was listening to Mac there, you know, talk about the offense and Martinez and, and everything, and it's funny. This is just a weird year. In the sense of, I mean, like, how many games have we played, right? It's insane <laughs> that we're two and four, right? It's only six games. We should have six more to play. And Gosh, we could just be true. rounding into form. Could you imagine someone like Betts uh, six more games from now? Oh. Um, right? Um, we're, we hopefully will get three. But it's just an odd year. And it, it's your perception of the team, because it's December, you feel like this should be a fully baked this is our end product, and it's just not been the case. Every week is different. Question from the mailbag, Richard Fitzwell. Mack, I'll ask this to you. He said, what is wrong with our running game without the QB? Sands the QB. He goes, mm-hmm. how would you fix it? It's a, it's a good question. It is a good question because it's been, it's been a head-scratcher for most of the year. I feel like the answer right now is Dedrick Mills. I mean, Dedrick Mills fixes our running game. Dedrick Mills fixes our offense in a lot of ways. Because I was, I was asking Honky earlier in the in the show. I'm like, what's different? How did we win this game? You know, that we still had some of our ales that we have in every single game. You know, but what changed it? And I just kind of came up. I'm like, Dedrick Mills. Yeah, it helped. I thought he ran tough, made a couple good blocks, did a lot of good things. We've been missing him. He's our only veteran back there. It's just weird how the day worked out. We weren't sure if we are going to have him, and then the night before game, we didn't think we were going to have Marvin. So um, we still felt good about who we had, but he, he went out in warm-ups and looked good and played a big role. Not only was he – he's such an effective runner. He, he's not necessarily explosive. Not that he couldn't break a run, but he just hasn't. But he is very effective in the run game that we have. And he's a very effective pass blocker. And he's a very effective lead blocker a couple times for Adrian to pop it a couple times. So what's what's the problem with a running game? We're really, really young. We're really, really young outside of Dedrick Mills. That's my take on it. Now, I could be wrong, but it, when you go from Dedrick Mills straight to your slot wide receiver being your next choice for running back, that is a problem. We need to get the young guys up to speed. 
and we need to get them up there up to speed by next year for sure. I mean, because sure. Dedrick Mills most likely is gone unless he's just choosing to spend another year in college, which, hey, Dedrick, I'm on board with. Come on back. <laughs> we'll take you. Let's create a marketing ploy behind you. We can have you on the red cast. I'd love to have you. But uh, but short of that, we are in need of, of another guy behind him stepping up. So Richard Fitzwell, to answer your question, uh, Dedrick Mills is the answer for this year. We need to find an answer for next year. But, but I think as long as we have him healthy, we do have a running game. Yeah, it was different. I mean, it was 16 carries for 60 yards. Not, not too glamorous, but he had some tough runs, some important mm-hmm. runs, um, and ones that we really hadn't seen that much um, the last few games. You know, a position that stood out to me in this game was the tight end. I, I don't know about you guys, but Austin Allen almost had a touchdown there. We got oh. vertical on that play finally, and he was wide open. I'm like, he's wide open. It actually worked. <laughs> oh, my God, right? Or the Wyatt Lever uh, touchdown catch right where it felt like we've tried to do something like that where we shift and etc and it finally works and purdue doesn't bring enough guys over and it, it really schematically was an advantage we finally won one of those did we out coach him is that a, is that a situation where frost out coached brom i mean because we talk about that every week right have we out coached somebody was that an out-coaching situation? I'm just asking that on the I, fly. But. I, it's the same answer we give when we make a mistake or whatever. Is it is it bad coaching or is it poor execution? I, I don't know. We did a shift, and they had a guy get to it late, and we had good outside blocking, and the combination of it all you know, led to a touchdown, and that's great. Um, you know, I mentioned a couple of plays prior to that. We did a shift, a similar shift, and I stopped the game while we were watching on Saturday and showed it to Mac and Jack that uh, we were in a legal formation, and we got eight yards. It was, Shut up. It went to second and two, and I <laughs> sat there, and I'm like, okay, I'm glad I didn't get called here, but this is one of those film session moments that on Sunday or Monday, but the point is just something as simple as that. They, they could have called us, okay? So all the Husker fans out there that think I, that I don't know how many redcasters out there watch games with somebody who counts how many men are on the line of scrimmage, <laughs> but I have never in my life, short of watching the game with Matt Honky. Seen anyone go, oh, it's a legal formation. Oh, we only got six guys. On. I'm like, nobody else does but it. My pr- but you're right. But you my- were right because we, when you rewound it, I'm like, because I was arguing with him. I'm like, man, it was come on. It was close. It was close. And he rewound. I'm like, oh, it actually wasn't that yeah, close. Yeah, and, and my point behind it is that you're right. Most fans aren't looking for that, but refs should be. And for all the conspiracy people out there that, you know, everyone's out to get us, we got away with something there. And what's the deal? Well, it was an eight-yard first down run to make it second and two. Or it's a five-yard penalty. It's first and fifteen. Dave, to go That's back a huge to difference, to though. go back to why did we win this game? It was because we were in second and twos instead of first and fifteens. Some of that is we played cleaner, and some of it is maybe we caught a call. I mean that happens too. I'll take catching a call. We talked about holding last week. You know, in the three hundred plus plays that we didn't get holding calls, and then all of a sudden we got some. You know what? I mean, some of that will even out over time, and hopefully even out a little more consistently over time. But we keep making improvements. We keep getting better, and catch these things in film where, where, you, where you, you do make a mistake, a pre-snap thing or whatever, but you clean up that a lot of those mistakes, and this is what this team can look like. Well, to that point, Hawk, I was going to ask the question to you guys. Did you feel like the offense at times started to look like what you expected to look like going forward? Um, like the, the last touchdown drive of the second quarter and that first drive in the third quarter where we move right down the field. Mm. Um, with the 
the nice run pass balance, uh, getting everybody involved, Wandell, Mills, Martinez runs. I mean, is this kind of what you expected to see the offense line look like? Yes, to an extent, but at the same time, I still feel like we're leaving a lot of yards on the field. I will say, though, I felt like this is the best game I've seen Adrian or any of our quarterbacks lead our wide receivers with the ball. Like, so where they could catch it and make a move, they could catch it and keep their eyes upfield, they could catch it and have a have a football play afterwards. That was the first time I've seen that in a long time. So that was exciting to see because that was the one thing, you know, when people talk about bringing McKenzie Milton in, one of McKenzie Milton's best attributes as a quarterback was his ability to get the ball to his playmakers, not just get it to him, but already get it to him while they're in motion so they can continue to use their athleticism to make feel, to make yards down the field. So yeah, there was there was a lot of aspects of that. You know, a couple times Adrian was late with the ball, but for the most part, like he checked down properly. Mm-hmm. You know, he moved the ball, but it was maybe not the chunk plays. You know, there was that really long like third down conversion where the line gave him Forever. all day to throw, and it's almost like at that point I'm getting super nervous. I'm like, okay, he's got about five seconds now, so either it's a sack, a fumble. Or an interception, and he whips the ball out to Wandell Robinson for a first down. I'm like, that is fantastic. And like, that's the evolution that we sure. need to see. And we still, like, this game, we didn't really utilize the tight ends as much as we have previously. The wide receivers, everybody keeps talking about waiting for the wide receiver position to step up. Watch the blocking. Watch how the wide receivers blocked on the edge. It yeah. made a difference well, this game. Where I think this offense is really going to take off is when the running back plays a bigger role. This was the first game yes. of the year where the running back leads the team in rushing. And, Mac, you brought it up when we were watching it. Set. Guess what that allowed Wandell to do? It allowed Wandell to be more of a receiver. Guess what Wandell ends up doing? Catches over 100 yards, and I think like nine catches. So you're getting guys into the right role. The running back spot has to get, become more and more – obvious or given in this offense. I think that's one part of it. And the QB run game to me still, I want to see, I want to see it in specific scenarios. Like as an example, an option, right? We didn't see any option. I still think when this offense is just flowing full speed, you're going to see three or four or five options in a game. I just, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but in my mind, that's a part of this, this offense too. But all in all, I mean, we're definitely, we're getting closer there. It all starts with the most basic thing of making sure the snap is good every sneaking game play so that, you know, we can just have timing right and we seem to have some timing. I have a question, Dave. I'll throw this to you, and this is a philosophy question. Sam McEwen wrote an article after the Purdue game, and he mentioned how both schools have spread offenses designed at wearing out defenses. And it just got me thinking, as I, you know, as he kind of stated that, you know, you go back to what we grew up when we wore out defenses and we played our best games in the third and the fourth quarters. That's when we were dominating teams. And really, we heard it all game this time, too. We haven't been as good in the third and in the fourth. Are we wearing out teams? Does this offense wear out teams? Or does it does it wear it out differently than how we used to wear it out? Because it doesn't seem like we can just more easily go down it's the field in the fourth down quarter. in the 90s. Maybe it's a wear yeah, down. Yeah, Dave, is that the difference between beat down and, and wear down? No, that's a really good question. I think it's something to watch going forward, you know. I mean, you know, watching this game, it did feel more satisfying. I was not on on easy street like Mac. I mean, I was concerned when it got down to seven points, and I was frustrated that it got to that point because there was an opportunity there um, to really break this game open in the third quarter. But I I would say that 
it felt like we were stressing that defense. Maybe there was a strain. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Ooh, hey. <laughs> but, hey I mean, I, I think about how we were, we were spreading the ball around, and there was, a, like, to Max's point, I mean, I remember Adrian checking down and hit, hitting Vokalek out on the sideline for just a five-yard pass, but essentially that's kind of like a, um, a something that it, the defense was being stressed, I felt, at that point. We were getting a lot of plays, some bigger chunk plays, and we were making them defend the entire field. And that's how the defense can wear you worn down by this offense. I think is just mm-hmm. just like almost like a information overload of like, oh, I, I have to do so much to make sure that I'm defending all parts of the field. Well, you know, one other thing, and we talked about really all the positions here, but Kevin Suits, ten eleven, he wrote a, a kind of a neat tweet after the game, and I didn't really think about this until he put it this way. But we have Wyatt Lever who you know catches the touchdown pass. He's from O'Neill. Uh, you know, he talked about the block punt that Simon Ott, and he's from, you know, York. We had a couple sacks in the game from Ashland, Ben Stilley from Scotts Bluff, Nelson. I mean, these are guys, Nebraska kids that were out there, and in some cases, walk-ons too. You know, we knew our walk-on program would take a while to, to help us. Uh, those guys typically don't come in and play as freshmen. Uh, but if you take the time to develop them, they're going to help. And in year three, I think you're starting to see a lot of those guys uh, contribute. Uh, it was great to see Wyatt in the end zone, and uh, Oliver and Levi certainly had good games too. And maybe something that we've taken for granted or we haven't taken into account enough is just how this is year three. It's year two and a half. We're, we're only six games in, right? And Frost has said at times it's going to take three years or it'll take four years before you really start to see that effect. But we're starting to see that effect. Those Nebraska kids. The walk-ons. Those walk-ons. Right, huh? and, and, yeah, just and some of those guys that – Maybe weren't the big four-star kid, but we still went after uh, and that are local. I mean, they're starting to show up on the field in special teams in some different ways, and they're making plays. They're not just serviceable players. They're making legitimate plays out there. And this was a game that really highlighted that. Yeah, absolutely, Hunk. You know, I mean, the walk-ons are contributing all over the field. Uh, Boomer, that that punt block in particular stands out to me. You have uh, Levi Falk, who comes in from uh, South Dakota, and you've got Simon Odd, or, or Oddie, I'm not quite for sure what his pronunciation is, who, who covers it at the one. Uh, that had been rewarding to, to see that play out. Yeah, finally a chance to do something on special teams there, folks. Uh, just, you know, although, Simon, you have that chance to get that ball, just score, take get that touchdown there, because <laughs> Lord knows... I was feeling slightly nervous with us getting the ball at the one-yard line, because we've had a few issues before in the past, but... Luckily, we punched that in and took advantage of uh, just kind of an odd snare for Purdue. I, I don't know what they were doing. That wasn't their usual punter back there in that yeah. first series. I don't know what their plan was or why they even switched it out or what they were doing, but they just decided really not to block anybody. Maybe they don't like the guy. I don't know. Is Diaco their punting coach again? Like he was I guarantee he is. <laughs> I guarantee you. Although, weirdly, he did an okay job here as special that teams. Is a but, gore- yeah. That is a light foot disciple right there yeah <laughs> it was crazy but uh, lightborn not sorry not <laughs> yeah overall you know we, we've kind of touched on it earlier it was uh generally more positive uh week for special teams and others we did have a punt block ourselves. Uh, i need to go back and kind of analyze that further you know looks like i missed assignments and the punter might have been up a little closer than he needed to be on that but um 
generally speaking, that you know the kickoffs were were good. The coverage, there were a couple of times Purdue was able to get some good returns on a few of those, which set up a score for him. But uh, again, we'd mentioned before Connor Culp, you know, kicking, not missing. You know that that's a difference in games. I mean, he had 13 points, and that's enough to win a game in a situation like this where, where we win by 10. You know, David mentioned it earlier last year. Yeah, last year we're going. You know, we're going for it on a lot of those plays when and not getting it, not converting, getting zero points, and that flips momentum quite rapidly. Yeah, you have less empty possessions, right, Boomer? And that that's winning football. All right, guys, good stuff. Let's uh, swing over to the defense here, right? And hockey, I mean, um, there's some players on that D that have really grown a lot this year um, from the front seven to the back four. You've got stars that are showing up. Uh, you mentioned Ben Stilley and Garrett Nelson. Uh, but uh, got to bring up Daniels too, right? I mean, that guy has been a beast um, on the line. Yeah, there was the one play where I was right before the snap. I was telling Mac and Jack, I'm like, look how big Daniels is. Just, I mean, he's just such a big body in the middle of the line. And that was the one where he got in the backfield and made a tackle for like a two yard loss. I mean, that is he continues to get better and condition wise can play more plays. You know, that's always been the thing with him, right? Can you get five, six, seven plays, get a string of them out of him? But there's a nice little lineup that came out of this of Rogers, Stilly, and Nelson that produced at least two sacks that we were watching. And it was just the three of them rushing and they'd have Tanner line up with them, kind of look like he's going to blitz. And then he'd drop back and he dropped back a number of times, kind of into a little zone across the, the shallow center of the field. Mm-hmm. I mentioned it on the, the rapid reaction. I'm a little hit and miss with that. Cause I, sometimes I think Tanner gets lost in space trying to kind of play zone and coverage there. But look, these coaches are smarter than me. I'm sure they are seeing everything that I'm seeing and more. Right. Um, point is we're starting to see some rush there just our regular four-man rush is getting better too so you know goodness I mean that the progress to use that word the progress where I think we were a year ago to where we are now it's completely different and I didn't even talk about Ty Robinson the defensive line is making a push the outside linebackers are holding the edge whether it be Jojo Doman whether it be Caleb Tanner you know they're holding the edge then you got the inside linebackers Filling holes, you've got Reimer, you've got Honus. I mean, both of those guys have been making plays. And then you you move back. You could probably say this was DiCaprio Boodle's best game as a Husker. I mean, yeah. that guy, he looked so good in coverage. I, I remember watching the game, and the announcer said that, you know, Nebraska's just not panicking when the ball's in the air. And he's right. That's exactly what it looked like. We were not panicking when the ball was in the air. We were making a play on the ball. And you, it wasn't just DiCaprio. Cam Taylor-Britt. It's almost like the Michael Jordan jump man, the way he's floating back to knock the ball down. Can't you that Brent is playing at a level right now that, you know, going into next year is going to give him preseason all Big Ten hype. That's the level he's playing at right now. We're losing too many games right now for him to get it this year. But you watch. Next year, that's who they're going to be talking about. Travis Fisher's guys, they're delivering and, and no one's playing scared. So make no mistake. Purdue's wide receivers are a problem, and we handled that problem. We we are, we are one collision away from this game being a complete yeah, blowout. That, I mean, a complete blowout. Yeah, the agent, it was it was it's a football play. I'm not mad. I'm not mad about our defenders. I'm not mad at Purdue for making the play. It's a football play. Sure. But we had a safety and a corner collide, and the guy took it to the house. That happens. Disappointing. Ugly. It happens. You take that away. At minimum, that ball should have been knocked down. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Dave, you mentioned on the offensive side, is the offense starting to look the way you think the offense 
is intended. And I think the same question could be on the defensive side with Shenander. We've heard about that for three years. How does it work when it's supposed to look the right way, right? Well, I think of like how Doman played in this game. Joe, Joe! Doman was the, to me, he was the MVP of the defense there. He did everything from setting the edge. You think early on, first quarter, they did a reverse to Rondell Moore. And he sets the edge and forces that all the way to the outside. And then Dismute came in and cleaned it up. And Moore gets negative yards. Okay, that's a big play last year on a defense that wasn't set in the edge a year ago, right? I'm just going to say right now, I'm not afraid of Rondell Moore. Now, I know he's going to graduate and join the pros, but I don't sweat that guy. <laughs> no, you don't have, and you don't have to anymore, right? But there's another play that comes to mind, too, was Hannes on a play where it was a stretch. Everything goes to the left. They, the whole offense, they're going to the left. They play action it there, and then the QB kind of rolls back to the right. And as you're watching it on TV, you see kind of an, an area where it's like, oh, geez, you know, we need to make sure that we get onto the right side and set the edge, make sure that we kind of enclose the pocket, because if not, he's going to be able to roll out to the right and he's going to have open field. And their quarterback's not a mobile threat, but you don't want to let him get out of the pocket either. And out of nowhere, Hannes just dashes to basically set the edge. Like, it's that concept of, like, I understand where I need to be. Like, right now, even though the, the, the quickest way to get to the QB would have been a straight route to him. He runs to the left, to the uh, outside, yeah, yeah, to make sure he yeah. he is containing out there. It's that concept that we're understanding things. So that looked good. And the last play that I wanted to, to touch on was the fourth and one in the backfield. We mm. just shut them down, you know, turnover on downs. And it was Nelson who I think took on a double team on that play. He took two dudes. Yeah. And then you had uh, you know two or three other guys came in and just you know smacked the guy. I mean, everyone knows their role. Yeah. Nelson, you were saying this. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, I've been on the message boards, and, and Gary Nelson's getting a lot of flack on the message boards about, you know, this is an example of why we're not exceeding and this and that. Gary Nelson's playing – Pretty fundamental ball. Look, any of those you know, keyboard warriors there. Oh, they're so good. But, they're so powerful. But the thing with Nelson, he does so many things so that right. don't lead to a stat. I mean, he takes on the double team. He mm-hmm. sets the edge, and he sets it up so someone else goes and makes the tackle. I mean, there's so many things he does when you watch the film. He is technically so sound in a lot of cases, but it also oh, made it all the – How many stars does he but, have, man? But it made it all the happier to see him get his first sack of the yeah. season because he, he's worked hard enough, and he's got the motor, and you just got to love the kid out there that – it's good to see him start to be rewarded yeah. with some stats to go with it. Because, like I said, he does things behind the scenes on plays that those guys aren't yeah, well, you know, Apparently, you know, just being a really good teammate, a really, <laughs> a, you know, working really hard in the offseason, in the weight room, elevating your, your other teammates' play, that's just it's worthless, right, guys? I mean, it's worthless. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he's from Nebraska, the fact that he will never give up, all that stuff, it's useless because he doesn't have a fourth star, so... You know, give me a break. I, I, I'm tired. I, I'm curious to think how you guys think this will translate to this game against Minnesota. Keeping Purdue's run game to negative two yards is one thing, right? Yep. And now, and now, from a passing game perspective, we have a Minnesota team that has their best wide receiver out, Bateman, right? But they still have Autumn Bell, and then you have mm-hmm. Mo Ibrahim as their yeah. running back. Um, and this is a team that gashed us last year so what are you looking yep. for from this defense against the golden gophers to win on saturday yeah it's it's all about progress from where we were a year well, ago progress we, and more of the same at the uh, same time physicality at the line of scrimmage what we did against iowa in the run game 
is what I want to see us do against these guys in the run game. Is there a magic number, Honk, uh, to keep Minnesota below rushing yards? For example, Iowa, they only had 129 yards, right? I mean, are you looking for mm-hmm. a certain number that you'd like to see us try to keep them down? Man, if you can keep them under 150, especially as much as Minnesota wants to rely on it, if we were 150, 175 maybe tops, that's pretty darn good against this team because you want to try to make these teams one-dimensional. I mean, this is no different from one game to the next. We said the same thing about Purdue. Man, if you can force Minnesota into passing situations, I like our situation then. If you're letting Ibrahim get out average eight yards or seven yards of carry, and God forbid, I can't remember what they all averaged on us a year ago, but if you're doing that, I mean, you're going to be in a world of hurt the whole game. But what I love is we are hard to run on right now in between the tackles. There should be no reason they should be. That, like, I mean, it's just, there should be no reason. That Maybe that's my expectation. It's like literally on drive one, I just, I want to see us make it really hard for them to get anything in the middle of the field. Because there's no secret. It's like playing, it's like playing Wisconsin. There's no secret of what, yeah. what Minnesota's going to try to do. So it's going to be strength on strength, right? There's just no reason to think that we won't be prepared to physically stand up against these guys. So it'll be a matter of that, and then it'll be a matter of, is our offense ready to play? I was telling Honk this before the show started. If we get the Adrian that we have the last two weeks for the rest of the season, I'll ride with that guy till the end of the year. And, and, and this is a game we win. I, I 100% believe that. Yeah. Forget it. Minnesota's in trouble. I'm calling it early, folks. (laughs) Don't even get me started. We got to win. And now, Nebraska ball. Listen, we got work to do. There's no doubt about it. We're seeing different looks every time we step on the floor, and we're going to continue to get better. I I know that. I know this group has a lot of pride, uh, but like I said earlier, it's much better to learn uh, from a win than, than a loss like we had last week. All right, we are talking all things Nebraska ball with Fred Hoiberg there, uh, talking about getting better with wins, not losses. And we have one more win on the tally sheet. Took down South Dakota, the Coyotes, I believe, of South Dakota, uh, uh, last Tuesday. Um, Ended up only being a seven-point victory, but we were in control for most of the game, really, there. And uh, so another good, good W. But we did lose a game due to COVID. The Florida A&M Rattlers decided not to make the trip up to Lincoln um, for the, the weekend game. So we're, we're still sitting in here at 3-1 and one and a really big week coming up, right, Boomer? We have the uh, ACC Challenge here with Georgia Tech on Wednesday. And then we follow it up with Creighton on Friday. So uh, a lot to look forward to. Yeah, we're really wrapping up the uh, non-con schedule as limited as it was with uh, what turned out to be... Uh, Potentially some exciting games. Georgia Tech coming off a, a big win versus uh, Kentucky. It's been a lousy start to the year for Kentucky, but hey, you're still beating the Wildcats. That's got to account for something. So, And Georgia Tech's other two losses were to, I think it was Georgia State or Georgia Southern. One or the other. Either one. What's the difference, really? And Mercer, <laughs> who's actually played pretty good ball so far. And... Um, then we've got our, you know, arch rival with Creighton, and I hope all the Jaskers remember to Friday night, uh, Saturday morning, to switch from your blue to red. You know, it's kind of like switching your Twitter burner account. You don't want to make sure you're, you know, you had the wrong thing on in your... I have to remind myself of that. Make concept. sure you get that right, Jaskers. But uh, it'll be a good test, I think, for this team to see where they're at. You know, I would like to have not gotten that Florida A and M game in just for more practice. Just like you say, you want to play games to see where this team can can be. But um, 
this will be a good test leading into what's going to be a, a heck of a conference slate. So let's let's see where the team is at. Yeah, you know, hockey to that point, it, it, for a moment, a hot second, it seemed like Nebraska might have a chance to play Oregon. Dana Altman's crew is in Omaha playing basketball games. I, I don't know, did they even play Creighton? But with Nebraska losing the game to, to Florida A&M, there seemed to be a, a moment there where that game might have been put together really quickly. It, it didn't, and that's that's okay. But it's still an opportunity here going forward with these two games this week to, to see where we're at. Yeah, that would have been fun to go up against uh, the old Wilbur, Nebraska native, and his team. But we only had one game of, of data to go off of since the last time we've talked. But, you know, that South Dakota game, we saw a few things there. We saw Allen in the first half catch a, a technical and showing some feistiness there. And and Hoiberg even talked about that in the, the press conference, you know, saying that you're going to get some of that out of him. But, you know, he needs to control that. But at the same token, that's some of the liveliness of this team that uh, I don't think we've seen maybe in, in the past and some previous teams. Coming off the bench, what Stevenson did, I mean, really came in there and, and was a major contributor in that game, a, a reason that we won, and we're going to need that. Our team has to go deeper than the starting five, and to get some guys and some production off the bench, that's huge. And I think the other the other takeaway I just have right now is you really see Banton becoming a leader on this team. He's a vocal leader. The team seems to kind of you know surround him at timeouts, whatever it is. He's the guy that I, I think kind of is the driving vocal force I, I i'm starting to see kind of form out of this yeah you know um the game versus south dakota very few people have been able to watch a nebraska basketball game in person um but our our man on the spot mac has been one of those maybe few hundred that have actually seen this team play in person mac what'd you uh see there against the coyotes on tuesday i mean mr nebraska ball over here uh, you know what I what I saw out of the team was good energy. I saw great communication from the team. I saw a lot of love from the bench to the guys that were actually playing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you talked about Delano Banton. It doesn't stop when he gets off the court. He's he's constantly rah rah on the on the sideline, and it's, and it's not just him too. Teddy Allen, the same kind of guy, and that guy is the quirkiest basketball player I've seen in a long time. He seemingly has no vertical. He seemingly has never really worked on a, a smooth jump shot, and yet he's able to penetrate. He's able to finish. He scores on the weirdest of ways. Uh, but if that guy gets hot, he's a, he's a legitimate problem. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in a long time, we're finishing at the rim, and we're making free throws. So. That alone puts us in games that we haven't been in in a long time. So, um, you know, I think fun stuff's ahead. I really, truly believe uh, going forward in this season, we're going to put a scare, if not beat, some good teams in the in the Big Ten. It'll, it, we're going to be the problem. Like, we're going to be the team that you have to beat as mm-hmm. opposed to a team that you walk all over. Well, Dave, you said it last week. If we truly are the 13th best team out of, out of 14 in this conference, which is what we what preseason predicted to be, yes. if we are, then that's a pretty darn good 13th best team. <laughs> yeah, that's what the gauntlet of the Big Ten is, is going to be. And, and when the 13th best team, supposedly, has something like Teddy Allen on it, um, that's really, really a deep league. Because Teddy Allen, I, I've seen him play four games now, and... and you know, I mean, you, you kind of alluded to the fact that he never met a shot he didn't like. He's not really, a, he's not a pure shooter, though, to Max point. He, he's a scorer, though, right? There's some guys that are just simply geared to score. And Teddy Allen, 
is a player who's going to find ways to get points. I mean, if he's hitting his three-point shot, sure. But if he needs to um, get to the rim, he's going to try to do that. If he needs to make his free throws, he's going to find ways to get points. And at the end of a game like that, where you're like, well, who ended up leading Nebraska in scoring? It's typically going to be someone like Teddy Allen because he just finds way to score buckets. You know, we've compared some of our players on this current team to past Huskers. Uh, we talked about... Uh, McGowan's being kind of like a, maybe a cookie belcher. I've thought of Banton and Roby have a lot of similarities height-wise and athleticism-wise. Uh, we kind of talked about, has there been someone like Lat Mayan? But has there been someone like Teddy Allen that you can think of, you know, over the course of the last 10, 20 years? Did one of the knee-era guys, you know, he always brought in a bunch of athletic, offensive shooting, scoring-type guys. Is there somebody that you would kind of compare Allen to? That's a good question. Maybe Terrence Badgett, um, someone who is again didn't look necessarily that athletic, um, but but a sneaky good scorer um, could do mm-hmm. a lot of different things. I think Teddy Allen's actually better than than Terrence probably, but I, that, that's someone who comes to my mind. I guess certainly more outside shooting than what Badgett did too. You know, I mean Badgett right. was more inside. He uses that thick body of his well. Yeah. yeah, like he gets he gets his body on guys that forces them to either foul him. Or at least put them in an uncomfortable position to, like a backseat of both. Well, I mean, he, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, he doesn't wow you with a, with athleticism. He just doesn't. He, but but for some reason, he can get his shot off, and for some reason, he can drive, and for some reason, he's not quick, and yet he still gets he gets into the lane. I don't understand it, but I enjoy it because he has got a Nebraska across his jersey, so I'm all about it. Yep. <laughs> And another guy like that is Stevenson, Hockey. You mentioned that. But, I mean, he's so valuable coming off that bench, playing the defensive role he does. Mm-hmm. But then you look at the stat sheet at the end of the game, and he has 11 points, right? And yep. you're like, that's that's great, right? I mean, you can get 11 points from a guy from the bench. And he's really, his main contribution is locking down the number one scorer uh, and really kind of uh, changing the, the momentum of the game there right after halftime. So... Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of things I like. I think Georgia Tech, to Boomer's point, they beat Kentucky, but uh, they're definitely a team that we can we can potentially beat. Creighton's going to be the real real challenge, though, right, guys? I mean, Creighton is deep, um, talented, and experienced. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see how well this team responds to that challenge. All right, guys, well, I'm looking forward to uh, the this week's games, uh, but let's... Uh, Go down with some Husker football predictions and parting shots. Let's start with Boomer. All right, prediction. Again, this is kind of a tricky game to pick because like we started with, we have no idea what Minnesota's got available, players out, coaches out, who knows. Heck, Ibrahim may be one of the players out. I mean, we have no idea. Nobody tells anybody anything in this conference. So it's hard to predict with any great accuracy, but... They haven't played since before they were figuring out how to make turkey gravy for Thanksgiving and all that, so they're going to be a little rusty, and we're coming off a, a nice momentum-building win, so I'd feel pretty safe with this one. We're going to say Nebraska 34, Minnesota 14. Oh, Boomer. All right, I like it, Boomer. I like it. Mac, what do you got? There's no way I would be part of a Husker fan podcast and ever pick P.J. Fleck to beat Scott Frost in a football game. So, that being said, now that we finally broke that 30-point mark, I feel like 
I'm looking to the 40s. We'll say 42 to 21 because we're going to put in backups and we're going to let them <laughs> score towards the end. Um, you know, Noel Pola Gates probably gets an interception and Sevian Morrison probably puts in one from 10 yards out. That's what I'm saying. Minnesota, you go ahead and row that boat. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, Hawk. Well, I do think the point that Boomer is making there that, you know, they've been out for a couple of weeks. They haven't been playing and, and I think we're starting to actually kind of hit a little bit of a stride. And so I expect to damn right. You know, on senior day, I expect to see a great game from the guys that have been here for three, four years. I expect to see uh, Martinez continue on the, the play that he's been doing the last couple weeks. And I'm going to give it a, a 34. We're going to hit the 30 point mark. Uh, we're going to win 34 to seven. We're going to, we're going to flip around the score from a year ago. We're going to get a little bit of payback on, on what Minnesota did to us up in, up in the Twin Cities. Boomer was up at that game a year ago and, uh, 34 seven. All right. I, I like all these predictions. Well, make no mistake too. If, if, if we get a lead on these guys, Frost ain't going to forget about last year. No, he won't. No way. No, that's a good point. Good point, Mac. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the line. Um, opened around nine and a half or ten, right, Boomer? I think I saw it at nine, and now I've seen it at ten and a half. So it's been moving Seriously? around a little bit, wow. Wow. Um, and has gone up. And so, um, you know, I that, that's about where it should should be, I guess. I mean, if you think about Purdue versus Minnesota, and I really feel Purdue could have won that game, probably should have won that game, and it was up in Minnesota. Um, we beat uh, Purdue by ten. We have Minnesota coming to Lincoln, so that should be worth a few points. So I'll, I'll go 34-24. Um, it'll be right around there, there and um, it should be interesting to see where the, the line moves um, by Saturday. All right, let's uh, get out of here with some parting shots. Boomer, take it away. My parting shots, just uh, kind of another just sad note in college football. Um, Fred Akers, former coach of the Texas Longhorns and actually coached for Purdue for a little while and I believe Wyoming he had a couple of years at. So, But he was a head coach down in Texas in my early years of uh, knowing what the sport was about. He was actually coaching Texas in the very first college football game I ever attended in person. Uh, would have been uh, Texas, Texas Tech. I believe in 84, if I remember the year correctly. Uh, you know, he had him on the brink of a couple of national championships, never quite had the success. You know, he had to follow Daryl Royal, but uh, just kind of a sad day. Just uh, just some of those old names I remember from, from my youth just kind of passing. And uh, just condolences to the family and to the, to the Longhorns Nation, which is something I'm not going to say too often. But. So, Boomer, <laughs> I, would, I would imagine then it, he would have been the coach in 83 at Texas. He was, right? yes. They were the... Should have probably won the national title that year, if not for a really botched punt in the Cotton Bowl versus Georgia. They they muffed the punt. They were a great defensive team that year, and with Nebraska losing, they could have had a national championship that year. But but I think they lost like oh, it was like nine to seven or ten to seven or something to Georgia because they muffed a punt with a couple minutes to go and gave Georgia the ball to to win it. So. Yeah, I just remember them going undefeated throughout the season as we did too. So they they were constantly number two to, to us being number one throughout the season. Yeah, they did the same thing. I think seventy seven they were undefeated up until the the Cotton Bowl and got beat by Notre Dame if I remember right in that one. Yep, so. that was the Joe Montana yep. Cotton Bowl. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Green jerseys. So. Yep. Oh, I remember wow. it like yesterday. I was a year old. <laughs> <laughs> Already yeah. watching games fluently. With that's a right. That's days. right. Yep, so. All right, Mac. What do you got? Um, I just want to give a little shout out to uh, Believe in Fred. Um, 
he was he joined us uh on our last victory podcast rapid reaction but uh he went ahead and welcomed in his first son uh this yeah. last week so uh congratulations to him and his wife hope everything's going well um I, I don't want to spoil the name but but Beller's a huge Cubs fan and his name starts with Sammy so uh, <laughs> no big surprise <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, and Honk, get us out of here. All right, well, of course, I have a couple. The first one is Justin Fields. You know, you might be a five-star talent, but, man, that dude's got five-star effort. If anyone watched the play where I think he threw it to someone, they caught it, and then he starts dashing down the field and runs 50 yards down the field to catch up with the guy that's chasing him to block him. The effort there. Like, there's all-American talent, but there's all-American players, and that is a a play that every single coach in the country, regardless of sport, should show their teams. Like, this is a kid that, you know, arguably doesn't even need to be out there. He could be drafted in the NFL without playing another snap, and that's how much he loves the game. Yeah, Buki. Well, that's that's what I want to see. You know, that's what everyone wants to see their their teams doing. And, And I think that Frost, you know, he's recruiting those kinds of players, too, that, that are going to – you love the game like that, and, mm-hmm. and when you love the game like that, you play like that. So just wanted to give some kudos to him. Um, feel terrible for Miles Farmer. It was just a weird start to that game to all of a sudden, you know, like the Twitter right before the game started, it's like, oh, Miles Farmer's laying on the ground and he's being carted off. And for him to have – Frost said today he had surgery. He's obviously done for the year, but he should be back and healthy – all you know, all signs point to that to next year, but just feel really bad for Farmer there. What yeah. a tough way to end the it season. Sucks. It sucks. Yeah. And then the last thing is, and this is the greatest Twitter back and forth ever, and it's with our favorite Pat Forty. But uh he tweeted out on Saturday, Oh my god, Missouri just found another way to Missouri a game. And then Mizzou Athletics responded to him and said, If by Missouri a game you mean beat your rival, then you nailed it. To which only as Pat Forty could do, he replied well, my alumni donations will continue going to the uh, School of Journalism, not athletics. So even his own alma mater can't stand the dude. <laughs> All $4.25, huh, Pat? Yeah, I mean, if everyone can just unite, whether you're left or right, you know, it doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat, I don't care. We can all unite in our hatred of Pat Forty. And so uh, I just wanted to thank Mizzou Athletics, which are words I've never said before. And uh, <laughs> back to you, Dave. All right, all right, good stuff, guys. All right, well, um, that was an enjoyable show. Hopefully the Redcast Nation enjoyed it as well. Let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red 2-0! Row the boat! Hoda Media Production.